and welcome to the Denver Diatribe, a weekly discussion of culture, news, and stuff as it pertains to Denver, Colorado, the most fascinating city between Aurora and Golden. This week, an up-close and intimate discussion between Jared Jacang Mayer and me, your host, John Dicker, washed-out author and journalist. We're going to be talking about downtown Denver actually getting a, wait for it, supermarket. And Denver Magazine is dead, but the shouting isn't. And finally, some of our favorite local tweets. Hi, Jared. How are you doing? I'm doing very good, John. This is a very intimate one-on-one conversation this week. Right. If you could see us, we're basically sharing a very small desk. Um, it's, it's, yeah, it's lovely. In diatribe professional hq <laughs> where we where we totally don't hear a dog barking outside right i chained all my dogs and hogtied them in the basement so they won't be bothering us sweet well let's get on to this uh supermarket news because it's kind of I, I think it's pretty interesting um it's slated for the developers announced that they're in discussion with a national supermarket chain whose name who remains nameless at this moment but it's going to be at 20th and chestnut 20th and Chestnut, so this is in the Central Platte Valley, or as some people know it, the Union Station area. Plans were that there were going to be tall buildings and thousands of people living down there years ago, but the economic crisis and the real estate fallout put that on hold, and the supermarket had been talked about even uh, four or five years ago, but now it seems that these developers are saying, yes, we are going to break ground, and yes, there will be a supermarket there at 20th and Chestnut. Right. And so, I mean, some development in that periphery has been going on you know, near the skate park. There have, have been buildings going up. So it's not like nothing has happened, but there are definitely some lots like right behind Union Station that have been dormant. I mean, you see you see piles of dirt and it looks like stuff is moving, but I haven't seen anything, you know, rise out of the ground yet. Yeah, it seems like it seems like in the past year, some of those stalled projects have started to take up. There is some uh, digging going on and, and projects are going up, but... I think this the way people are put, pitting it is that this new supermarket getting put in there is they is the harbinger that is going to trigger the rest of the area. Right. Um, well, let's look at it r- right now. If you live in downtown, your options are mainly for for groceries are going on the periphery. You're going to go to you know the Pacific Mercantile for for for, for, <laughs> for Asian, Asian food, um, or you can go to the um, not so Safeway. You can or uh, and the King Super on Spear, but that's that's still getting further out. And then there's the Vitamin Cottage on Platte and Fifteenth. Yeah, and you can go a little bit further up into the Highlands at the uh, Safeway on Federal and and Twenty Six. But yeah, for anyone who lives in in that entire vicinity, if you actually uh, live in the the glass, what's it called, the glass tower, the glass house? Yeah, yeah. All of those high-end lofts and, and not-so-high-end places down by in that vicinity, you you, you really got to get in your car and make a trek out to one of these other supermarkets. So the convenience factor is, is not there at all. Right. And so Joel Warner, who's not here today, um, he had a blog post on potential supermarkets we'd like to see in this spot. And he, he did quite effectively shout down or preemptively shout down the people who are crying for Trader Joe's. Not that we wouldn't want Trader Joe's, but as Joel said in his blog, if they wanted to be here by now, they'd be here by now. And the conventional wisdom is that the local liquor laws that prevent a grocery chain can only have one grocery store that sells alcohol. That's the current. Well, and there's that, and it's also the just the sheer economic fact that Trader Joe's, like a lot of major chains, relies on their distribution centers as the hub for all their other stores. So in, in areas where there are many Trader Joe's, it's because they have a, their central distribution center and then they open up 
Trader Joe's around that. But but I don't think do you think that's the big issue because they're you know they're in Santa Fe which is what five and a half hours away that's not inconceivable that I mean you know what I mean that's not and it's a straight shot up twenty five yeah I, I don't know what Where, um, um, what formula they go by but I but I do think that that's a as big of a factor to uh, Trader Joe's not coming here as the liquor law thing because as a lot of people pointed out Trader Joe's could open up one store here in Colorado and have their one store hold that that liquor license yeah if they wanted to establish that i think that the way that they look at it is more of a strategic thing like if we're going to move into a region then we're going to go all out and open five stores yeah and and maybe in that regard the the liquor license thing is stopping them it's not right it, it just seems interesting because you know, santa fe and albuquerque are tiny compared yeah. to you know the denver metro area uh and especially how fanatical people are about trader joe's you're really you would get people from the springs and you know pretty pretty far out okay so let's let's, let's fuck, tra- fuck trader joe's we're, we're just oh, can't we wipe, talk about them we're more. gonna wipe that from our minds and okay. actually think of of what are the the likely can- more likely candidates to be the first supermarket down there and yeah. well, well I, i'm hoping it's not king supers or safeway just because there's they already kind of dominate the market I'd love for it to be Sunflower because that they're just they're kind of the in between between a regular supermarket and and Whole Foods, um, really good produce. And then I actually, if for some reason Vitamin Cottage wanted to move and build a slightly bigger store at that location, that would be fine. I really like them well, too. I, I think yeah, that that would be fine. I think that's pretty unlikely. I think Whole Foods would be the more likely candidate to go in there because it fits with their demographic. They already have their store in Cherry Creek. They have one on Capitol Hill. This would be a, a really great flagship store for them right in the in the downtown area yeah um but i have to say john i i really think that the more likely candidates are going to be a safeway or king supers. supers i think that you know they're a national chain they can get in there and and there are some safeways and king supers particularly if you ever venture out into the suburbs it's it's always that weird uh transformation when you go from <laughs> chain stores within urban centers and then you go up to brand new beautiful shining suburb suburban strip malls and you go into these places and it's you know like you stepped into the future everything's brand new and they have all kinds of organic produce and and things like that so i can imagine them sticking a store like that into the downtown area are there any concerns or is the lot big enough to accommodate the parking or is the I guess might be a night, very naive fantasy that people are going to be biking and uh, on foot to this place, which I, I'd love to believe is true, but I'm not really believing it's true. Yeah. Well, the plans for this, as they've been sketched out and posted on westward.com and Denver infill.com, that's the blog of our urban planning friend, Ken Treble, that it shows the, the supermarket as being part of a larger mixed use residential development that, that will include a parking garage on inside of it. So there will, there will definitely be parking associated with that. Cause I don't know how you can have a, a major supermarket like that, unless you provide some level of parking, parking right. for people to get there. But I have to say, if you look at the designs, the architectural designs for this building, it's not really that striking. It looks pretty generic. So that's a little bit disappointing. You would hope that, um, they'd be find a way to make, be a little bit more creative in 
their architectural designs rather than just going to the default sort of new urbanist lofty style they probably just down it's probably a google thing that you can just download need new urbanist (laughs) supermarket mixed-use residential building here are my here are my dimensions uh and it spits out a design yeah but as we were talking this also kind of fits into the latest news about how vacancy rates for apartments are at an all-time low meaning that less people are purchasing homes uh, and buying homes and or condos and are opting instead to rent apartments. And uh, this has caused some problems for people who are looking for, for rentals here in the city. The rents are going up a little bit, but it's also prompted a, a lot of developers to take some of their projects that they've had sitting on their shelves and say, now there's enough market demand right now where we'll go and move forward on a plan to build a 300 unit apartment complex. And that could spur development down there around this new supermarket. Right. I mean, it's the, to make an urban area livable. It's one of the things that's the absolutely essential is where people can, people can get groceries. So, I mean, I think it's, it's a win. I'm, I'm was interested. The post had that story about these demographic, you know, the, about this, the rise in vacancy and it's at a 10 year high uh, or sorry, 10 year low. So that's pre nine eleven. That's that's pretty striking. And then, but then they went on to point out that the unemployment rate is still you know, near ten percent. And I, I do wonder. For a while, it was it was Colorado really had a much better unemployment rate than the rest of the country. And is that a factor in this? Is the fact that our economy sucks less than so many other major cities part of this rise in demand? Yeah, and and that's the other question. It may be a low vacancy rate, but the people that are looking for a part apartments might not be the people who are going to be renting the high-end brand new apartments. Right. Uh, you know, these might be uh, people that are looking to pay four to $500 a month for a two-bedroom place, and they're certainly not going to be living down there <laughs> yeah. in the Central Platte Valley. They're going to be uh, snagging up apartment buildings that, you know, are a lot older, you know, maybe ones on Capitol Hill, maybe ones out in some of the older suburbs. So that that's a factor as well. But I, but I do know that, at least from what I've been hearing from developers and real estate people, they're using these new statistics about the vacancy rate to say, we're finally going to get off the shitter on these, uh, on these projects. And that is, uh, even in some cases, taking projects that had originally been planned to be condos, one's apartments, (laughs) you know, units that you would sell off and, and converting that to rentals. That's what the the Spire Mm -hmm. did. And they've been tremendously successful. That's the, I don't know how tall is that building a hundred floors or something like that. Originally a lot, most of those were supposed to be condos. And they, when they opened up sometime in 2008, like right at the cusp of the financial crisis and the real estate crash, they were lucky enough to be able to turn really, really quickly and instead say, no, we're going to be renting these things out. And now their, their building is almost totally full with, you know, a lot of young people, maybe not so young people, <laughs> retirees deciding we're just going to be able to rent um, here, live in the city, and, and that's the best option for them. Yeah, it'll be certainly be interesting to see with a potential grocery store. I haven't heard any reports on when this would when construction would begin. Yeah, I think or... They said they were going to break ground at the, in December of this year. Okay, so maybe we could see it June of next June of twelve summer. Yeah, you'd see an opening. Right, certainly isn't going to take as long as the IKEA, which is I think now <laughs> end of July. No, it, it it's going to be interesting with the that and potentially new residential buildings. The increase in traffic because everyone who lives in the city 
who can afford these places, my guess is they're going to have a car. And that that's going to create some some issues, and that'll be interesting to see how the planning uh, will work. All right, let's move on to uh, Denver Magazine, uh, which folded the other week. It was bought out by 5280, and there is much uncertainty about the publisher, CEO, what's his face? Um, Michael uh, Ledwitz. There's a lot of speculation, and by speculation, I mean anonymous blog comments saying that he owes a lot of people a lot of money, and then he's gone to Westward and said, I own, he's published his phone number, I know no one, anyone, you know, I, I've been a perfectly uh, respectable businessman. Why do we care about this? Well, first of all, the, the news that 5280 Magazine was buying out Denver Magazine was a big surprise to a lot of people. Of course, for anyone who doesn't know, 5280 Magazine has been around for probably over close to 20 years in Denver. It's sort of known as the the city magazine. Obviously, we know a lot of people that, that write for them. And uh, they have a pretty large distribution and subscription rate here in the and city. If, and if you're a plastic surgeon and you don't advertise there, you're an idiot. Yep. But then there's been Denver Magazine, which is a lot younger. I think 2002 or something like that, they started up. And it was kind of the fancy little cousin of 5280 magazine whose front of the book layout seems to be uh, ripped off almost entirely from 5280s but i mean it looked suspiciously similar yeah and it was uh owned started up by this guy uh michael ledwitz you know a younger guy he might be in his uh late 30s right now but i'm not totally sure on his background came from florida he had owned and published something out there i think he had had some money in the bank to be able to open up a project like this but Denver magazine it never really to me it never really got its identity correct it was trying to be appeal to the luxury demographic a lot of advertisements for diamonds and watches and then they really made a, a even larger focus on fashion so you'd have a lot of fashion issues and then in the back you'd have all the photographs of all the rich assholes smiling at, at expensive parties it was always a sort of a rivalry between 5280 and Denver magazine the news that 5280 purchased bought out Denver magazine only to shut it down i don't know if if that was ultimately correct I'm, there's some i think there's some context that we're missing in in here from what i've heard is the buyout what that involved for Dan Brogan the publisher of 5280 magazine what they get is the name Denver Magazine, so they now own that. They get Denver Magazine's email list. They get you know some of their other marketing things like their Twitter account and their Facebook account. But other than that, they don't really. It's not like they, they take anything. It's not like they're they're bringing on the staff. It's not like they're getting any of that. If you can kind of pick apart a lot of <laughs> the blog comments, we don't know how many of them are true. If it's just people wanting to bury an axe and. Ledowitz is back, but certainly there was a large amount of debt Denver Magazine was operating under. So it could have been a thing that Denver Magazine was already going to be closing down anyway, even if 5280 Magazine would have never been part of this. And this was just a deal that... This was uh, a deal for some email lists and some Facebook followers? Like, yeah, that's... Yeah, I mean, and, and, and you know, he can approach 5280 and say, hey, would you like to purchase our <laughs> naming rights and all this other stuff, this other stuff that if they went if they declared bankruptcy or went out of business would have gotten flushed down the toilet anyway. And 5280 was like, sure, we'll, we'll take that on. And the narrative that gets spun out is like, this was a takeover by 5280 magazine, which I don't really think is, is the case. Right. It was just kind of jumping on it. Most likely jumping on an opportunity. It's also worth mentioning that there's also 303 magazine, which is another urban magazine. Yeah. Another glossy 
Urban Mag. And, you know, Denver's a city that has, you know, we have one alternative weekly. We have now have one daily newspaper. The idea that we could sustain three monthly city magazines is kind of stretches the imagination. Did you ever read Denver Magazine? I read it a couple of times. I tried to read this one story about our friend, uh, the uh, Osama bin Laden hunter up in Greeley. It was a profile and it was painful because I was, I was actually, I'm interested in the guy as a pro- profile of a kind of quirky Colorado character. It's pretty interesting and it was just really poorly written and not interesting. And that was the problem with Denver Magazine is it never really developed out its editorial voice. This was something that I think a lot of sort of glossy lifestyle city magazines go through this evolution where they start out being having a lot of really nice photos, but the editorial content is just sucks. Yeah. But then they grow up and they develop out enough editorial resources, monetary resources, to actually pay good writers to do stuff. And that's something that 5280, that a transformation that 5280 underwent um, a long time ago. Right. If you read 5280, like, you know, eight, eight years, yeah, or, or even the early 2000s, it was uh, pretty painful. It was a different mag. Right. I mean, I still so, sometimes think some of their arts and lifestyle coverage is advertorially uh, the, the tone of it and flavor. But the reporting, as I've said before, it was at Lindsay Kohler's piece, uh, Gone, that won a national mag. That, that was a fantastic piece of journalism. And Max, certainly Max Potter does, and a lot of the other staff do fantastic work there. Even though, and it's interesting because if you look, if you just browse the cover, if you never read it, sometimes the, the service pieces, they're always going to have a service piece on the cover. So you just might make the mistake of thinking that it's, complete fluff because uh, it's always the top doctors or you know mm-hmm. where to get your where to hang out with with trophy wives but it, it, there's there's some great journalism in there and then of course back to the aftermath of Leowitz's and Denver Mag's departure there's been complaints that advertisers have gotten screwed subscribers what's going to happen to people who actually had subscriptions to Denver Magazine I didn't know Anyone uh, that did, but you know, apparently they're out there. Are there? Are they going to get refunds? Or do they? Are they all of a sudden going to get subscriptions to Fifty Two Eighty Magazine? That's been left up in the air. So it just appears that in this departure, there's a lot of angry people who, um, in blog comments and, and in other means, really uh, want to hold this guy Leowitz to task. And uh, in the article that Michael Roberts on westward.com wrote did an interview with Litowitz and uh what was what, what did you take from Litowitz's response to some of these accusations I think you're I'm always in favor of going after angry anonymous blog commenters it, you know it a lot of times yes you need to be a remain anonymous but after a while when no one's coming forward publicly on on something as this is not national security you know what i mean this is not deep throat if you legitimately have a grievance put a name to it just to to show that the there's some transparency there i don't know i mean i'm not i'm so far away from this story it's not funny but um yeah i just i just don't know i think that at the very least if you know just to say it again the sheer the sheer amount of it and the detailed nature of of what some of these people are saying about this i do think that he has a lot of sorting out to do and hopefully he can make these people right and not just jet off back to florida or the east coast or wherever he came from and just leave everyone in their wake but yeah who knows well what one publisher not a magazine publisher a weekly publisher told me is that publishing is a very like uh, you get a psychic paycheck paycheck it's a perceive it has the perception of glamour when you're a publisher <laughs> as opposed to something that makes money you know there's no i don't think there's glamour in owning a coal mine <laughs> per, per, per se or, or an oil and gas company in in magazine publishing there 
is, and that's why a lot of these things start up when there's well, the business. Va- they become vanity presses, yeah. right? Yeah. It becomes just a platform for you to say, and you know, I have to say, I, I actually ended up randomly at a few of these Denver Magazine parties, and it was very much about like this upper class scene of people who like to get together and celebrate each other's beauty and wealth. And <laughs> what the hell, what the hell were you doing there? Oh, I was at I was at one party, a Christmas party one year. I can't remember the name of the club. I think it even closed down. And as that party ended, the Denver Magazine party started up. And the next thing I knew, I was at the Denver Magazine party. So, <laughs> so I was there, and I and I saw Leadwitz staying there in his suit, and or it's Ledwitz. I'm not sure how to pronounce his last name, but anyway, I think that from my impression of him is that yeah, this was a fun thing to do. He had the money to do it, and um, maybe let some of that those tendencies of you know wanting to put on a good show get uh the better of his business sense and you know didn't didn't operate that correctly or maybe denver's not big enough for two city lifestyle magazines we will we'll have to see let's get a third kind of serious topic of uh local twitter followers or local tweets i don't know about you i use twitter mostly for for my business and i don't really follow it the way I think most people do. And a lot of it is just retweet this, retweet that. And sometimes it's a good aggregator for what's going on on the web. A lot of times it's just, hey, I'm cold this morning. I just had a cup of coffee. I mean, like, just tedious. Yeah, and I think that Denver's uh, Twitterverse, is that what they call it? Yes. Yeah. Is, is, is undeveloped um, compared to some other cities, but it's good to point out at least a few of the people that are producing good Twitter content. I can't believe I just said that, but they're but they're but they're active on it, and they're worth uh, putting on your list. Well, who do you got? Well, one guy I have is our friend Ari Armstrong, who's a uh, libertarian writer and pundit. I think he lives up in Longmont, but he is uh, blogs at at freecolorado.com, and I don't necessarily agree with everything he posts but the sheer amount of time and effort that he spends on twitter i don't know if he's getting paid to do this but it is like a part-time job at least for him like the sheer amount of uh surfing around and commenting and uh kind of if you want to do twitter right and develop a good following and and uh expand your reach via twitter he knows how to do it so it's ari armstrong a-r-i armstrong so follow him on twitter the other guy i have is Brofax, that's B-R-O-F-A-X. And this is uh, a guy named Eric Lubbers who's been around Denver for a long time. He's, I think, the managing editor of, of yourhub.com, but he has a blog called Brofax. That's the confluence of Colfax. And bro. And Broad- no, and Broadway. Oh, I thought it was bro. So, you, you know, you, you really want to know what Denver's like, go hang out at the bus <laughs> stop, the RTD stop at Colfa- Colfax and Broadway. You'll see some very interesting things. And so that's his blog. It's mostly just him and his part-time taking photos, making funny comments, you know, really lighthearted stuff. But I always enjoy. So check him out, Brofax. Oh, I just I just got one, which is uh, at Jim Hickox, who's a local comedian and someone I know personally and professionally. Um, he just he has a lot of uh, I would hate, hate to use the word shock jock, but some of it is because that, that it's, it's a little bit funnier than than that. But it is it is pushing the envelope sometimes like one of his recent tweets uh, says, my poop fizzes when it hits water. Is that bad? Huh. Uh, or <laughs> a, think, a real think piece. Yeah. When you say the word escort, the word whore is still in there. They're just little nuggets of of, of, of wisdom. wisdom. Okay. Yeah, so it's at Jim Hickox. So I, I I endorse him as someone local to follow. Okay. 
I almost I almost forgot about love and hate. Um, what do you got? I have a love. I'll call it a love. It's it's mostly something that was really notable to me, at least, as someone who has followed and complained very vocally over the years about the insanity of Denver's Pitbull ban. Recently, there's been a lot of hubbub about whether or not Denver will allow or exempt disabled people from the Pitbull ban, disabled people who use Pitbull breed dogs as their service animals. Yeah. And this has been in the news a lot lately because there's new federal guidelines that really opens the city up to a lot more litigation if they prevent disabled people from using service animals that happen to be Pitbulls. Um, the city council and the political leadership had shot down very publicly any attempt to change that. But recently last week, it was revealed that they found a back door. The head of the city's animal control, Doug Kelly, had issued a policy somewhat under the radar that from now on, uh, animal control officers will no longer be enforcing the pit bull ban for people who say they're disabled and say that their dog is a, uh, their pit bull is a service animal. There's, uh, I wrote a, a really quick blog about this for Westward on Friday that we can post, but uh, to me it was a pretty shocking uh, turnaround for a city that has defended this pit bull ban 100% um, without winking or blinking at all in the face of a lot of this controversy. And this was sort of a way for the politicians to cover their ass, for the city to legally cover its butt, and hopefully for people who are disabled that happen to have a trained pit bull to be their service dog, they can use that too. I got to hate uh, going back to one of my tried and true themes for local media, which is stop being pathetic. A lot of times, especially on the TV news, Though the, the the weekly and the, you know print is guilty of this too, we do the what is the Colorado connection to blank global or national news event when there is no Colorado connection. This week, of course, it was the royal wedding, and Channel Seven News did a piece on people in Cherry Creek buying dresses that Kate Middleton is seen wearing, and this is their connection to the royal wedding and just how much Colorado women uh, admire and follow Kate Middleton, who. I, I just don't get the fuss over. I, anyway, I, I don't understand this kind of uh, adoration for monarch, monarchy, but that's just a separate story. But it's just stop being so pathetic. There, there's no Colorado connection to some news stories, and that's okay. Um, I think that's all the hate and love we have time for. For Jared and for John Dicker, we are out. Yeah.